Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, Highland Games athlete, power lifter, and I run Lift for Hope and Strength Guild. And uh, Lonnie has a bit of news today, and but uh, we're also going to have talk to you in a minute with Dr. Dean Reeves, MD. Um, I'll give him a better introduction here in a minute, and we're going to talk about some topics that Mike Nelson brought up not too long ago, and I think Sean Casey did too, uh, about prolotherapy. We'll get into that after Lonnie gives us a bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Okay, uh, just quickly here. Uh, I was listening to Science Friday this past week, and uh, people might have heard about this. There's been writings in the New York Times. It's actually all over the web. Um, about uh, at least one new study that came out, and they are questioning the quality of dietary supplements. Um, that's probably not new to a lot of listeners, but specifically herbs. Uh, the Science Friday piece was called Navigating Dietary Supplement Regulations, and it's a little bit more neutral, and they had some interesting comments on here because they had some very conservative people, uh, like David Shart from the Center for Science and the Public Interest, uh, and then a little bit more what I would call liberal or more industry-friendly people on here. Uh, they, and they had Dick Durbin, uh, senator from Illinois. Um, but they go on to say that, you know, this is a big deal because it's, it's a $5 billion industry. And um, this is a lot of this is based on the original paper. And I did what I usually do, and I went and pulled the original paper to give, give it to you from the horse's mouth instead of letting a science journalist uh, interpret this for you. But... Uh, they used um, a technique called DNA barcoding, and it's sort of trying to get a fingerprint on different plant species and whatnot, and then they go do that on what's in the bottle, right, and see if it meets label, label claims in that way. So it says uh, essentially that a lot of these herbal products could be contaminated or, or um, you know, um, filled with different types of fillers and, and basically not meet label claims. So they used DNA barcoding. They conducted a blind test for authenticity. There were 44 different uh, herbal products uh, from 12 companies, and they used this technique. And uh, here's what they found. Most, that is 59% of the products tested, contained DNA barcodes from plant species that were not listed on the label. Mm. So you could call that contamination if you want. Um, uh, it says... Um, one-third of these also contained contaminants and or fillers that were not on the label. Uh, and then, indeed, there was product substitution in 68% of these products. So it's not the particular herb that they're claiming on the label, but maybe something that's been uh, substituted or a, a related species, something like that. Um, and there's lots of terms, even in the, the scientific paper, um, that are, you know, sort of negative terms, poor quality, contamination, lack of consumer confidence. Uh, and, of course, when the science journals uh, get a hold of this, not the science, science journalists, um, 
you know, they kind of run with this and they start writing uh, article titles. Herbal supplements are often not what they seem. Or this other one says, are herbal supplements a scam? Um, study finds many contain contamination. So I think the important thing here is to be as neutral as possible. You do want products to meet label claim. Of course you do. Uh, but in the, the Science Friday interview that happened this past week, I'd really, if you like podcasting, go listen to that um, at least this week if you're interested in this topic. Uh, because there was a lot of nice back and forth about, well, maybe the DNA barcoding, um, it's not the best technique to do this because what if there's some change in the DNA of, of an herb when you process it, you know, or I don't know. And I don't even know how they go through some of the processing of these different things. But, um, you know, it's a good point. Uh, I think we need to be careful. And again, if you want a fair and balanced, I think at least, um, interview, audio interview, the Science Friday one from November 8th, 2013, um, I felt was pretty good. And you can avoid some of the, you know, interjections from the science journalists. And uh, listeners know that I'm not always happy with the way they do things. They'll they'll ascribe cause and effect to things that are just correlational. They'll do lots of things like this. So, uh Anyway, so that's what we've got. You know, herbs being questioned, supplements being questioned again, and uh, you know, go find out, go hear as much yeah. as you can about it. I guess the supplement side of things. I mean, we've seen, gosh, since we've even been doing this podcast, we've seen a lot of changes. You know, I think in the times that we've been doing this podcast, it went from a very highly, totally unrelated, unregulated field to now at least somewhat regulated, maybe not enough. I don't know, but where do you draw the line? Is that that hard part, you know? Well, do you uh, want availability? I mean, there are other yeah. countries that are much, much stricter, and you could say, oh, yeah. you know, there are pros and cons. Sure, there are. Um, I mean, we don't want to get to the point where we have to get a prescription for vitamin C, but also don't want a company selling methamphetamines to some kids right. as a few workouts. And no offense to our guests, <laughs> but I don't necessarily want to spend $100 for a doctor's visit so I can actually purchase some fish oil. You know, or, or some of these sorts of things. So, again, there's pros and cons to a lot of this. And actually, they do point that out. One of the gentlemen in the Science Friday interview specifically said, listen, we can't act like these aren't regulated anymore. Because they started railing against it a little bit. And, uh-huh. you know, and the guest was like, wait, wait, wait. You know, there's quite a bit of good manufacturing practices. And there's a there are some safeguards in place. This isn't the free-for-all that it was. Like when people watch movies like that, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. You know, where they're just bottling stuff up with a bunch of uh, guys they hired off the street and that kind of thing. Oh, and like I talked about, I actually went and got, I, I, I think I still have my paperwork. I'm probably still approved, but I, I became an FDA manufacturing facility just to see if I could do it. I didn't know you actually <laughs> it took did me that. a day. Oh, my. Know? And they said that, you know, they'd come out and they could come pop in and test at any time. Of course, they never did. They wouldn't have anything to see, but. Just to see if I could. I was registered with them, and I could create supplements. Yeah. Now, having said that, I have been in uh, different manufacturing facilities. Like, when we do, we toured the VPX factory, which is pr- pretty enormous, actually. And uh, they were saying, yeah, this is where, you know, the FDA guy comes and sits down with us and does this and that. And, I mean, they do put FDA representatives in some of these uh, companies to sort of oversee um, yeah. if they're meeting these certain regulations. And, again, like you uh, I know from the research and development side and then from the manufacturing side, they are, in both cases, there are, in fact, some regulations. Um, yes. And I think if you asked a lot of these dietary supplement manufacturers, they'd be like, are you kidding? They're onerous. They're, they're very yes. serious. Yeah, um, and I mean, and that's, this, was, this was before I went to Thailand. So it's been several years. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. so. 
Well, yeah, interesting. So in the news again, and um, yeah. just stay abreast because, like you said, you never know when some new law is going to come down and they're going to change some of the regulations or, or what have you. So, yeah. Okay, so we'll move on. Um, again, we have Dr. Dean Reeves, uh, MD. He's a clinical associate professor at University of Kansas, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and he's also a fellow with the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and American Academy of Pain Management. Um, the reason we called up and you know I got a hold of him, want to get him on, was after we had Mike Nelson on and also Sean Casey, I think, who who both talked briefly about prolotherapy and what was the other one, uh, platelet-rich therapy and things like that. And we, I just wanted, I thought it'd be interesting to get a clearer picture of what's going on, a clearer picture of what's possible and stuff like that. So, Dr. Rees, if you want to take the, you can run with this for a minute. And just, I, I'd love to hear your definition of the therapies in general and, and kind of where they're headed. Okay. First of all, the topic of prolotherapy has to do with injection that's intended to repair things. And the general object of treatment is to repair connecting tissue, that's ligament or tendon or cartilage. This has been done for a number of years, but uh, research interests in this field uh, have become more and more um, common. For example, I became interested in how to repair uh, ACL ligament, for example, and I did a study on measuring loose ACL ligaments and simply injecting the knee with dextrose solution to create a repair signal and tighten up ACL ligaments. Let me stop just a second. Um, when you want to stimulate repair, one of the simplest ways to do it is to inject dextrose. Dextrose is a sugar and it is a placebo by mouth. But when you bypass the insulin system of the body and surround the cell, it's like surrounding a cell with uh, fuel. And the cell turns on and immediately begins producing repair proteins. And within a matter of 20 minutes, the DNA, the cellular repair turns on. So the simplest way is simply to inject dextrose around the structure that you want to repair. And some of the things that you're hearing about nowadays are variations of that. Things like platelet-rich plasma or stem cells. They're all methods that stimulate repair. Just uh, the first study related to ligament that I did was ACL ligament. And then I became interested in uh, working with uh, elite athletes in terms of designing studies. And I had the privilege of working with a researcher in Argentina who was working with rugby players that were on the city team that supplied the national team of Argentina. And these players could not kick the ball because of groin pain and had strains in their adductor muscle and in their abdominal muscle because they get in the scrums. And with simple small needle injection of those attachments, 92% of those athletes were able to get back to full play and get the same response as about a $15,000 surgery, only without surgery. And it saved the career of those elite athletes. So that was intriguing. Yeah. Um, and then another example is something you may have heard of called Osgood-Slaughter disease. This actually affects millions of young people every year, 
And those of you out there that have had a bump on your knee, below your kneecap, and remember having knee pain down there, mm -hmm. uh, that tendon below the knee becomes irritated. And by simple injection with a tiny needle around the attachment of that uh, tendon, that symptom can be shut off. And this was published in the Journal of Pediatrics, again, with a very high success rate. So my introduction to research into how to repair by injection was very encouraging. And so um, that kind of describes a little bit about the fact that when you're injecting to create repair, that's called prolotherapy. Yeah. But that's not really the whole story because okay. things changed dramatically about 2007. So let me stop there and see if you have. <laughs> uh, I, have I have a quick question, which is uh, how does this, um, you know, like when I teach a, a simple patho a class, uh, we'll talk about, you know, acute inflammation versus chronic inflammation and a move toward repair and. Um, is this something that's so local that it, it's not about neutrophil infiltration and, you know, the formation of granulation tissue and that kind of thing? Um, can you just explain, like, the locality of this versus, like, traditional, you know, white cell involvement and in, in angiogenesis and all that sort of thing? Sure. There are several ways in which the injection works, and it is a local response. Um, dextrose itself, as an example, if you concentrate it, will create an inflammatory effect, and that simulates the body's natural repair. The difference that's key is that you don't have to tear a structure or injure it in order to begin the repair process. So you don't have to take a step backwards to take a step forward. Mm -hmm. That's using inflammation, and that does call out white cells and repair cells or fibroblasts, which mm -hmm. make new tissue. Mm -hmm. The other method is just what we talked about before, dextrose cannot even get into the cell without elevating the growth proteins in the cell. They're linked. You can't bring it in without creating repair. Um, and another way it works is by taking the cell and surrounding it with a high concentration that makes the cell shrink by osmosis and that also creates a temporary stress on the cell, which tells it to repair. So those are the three major methods, and they're local. Okay, so are we talking about the formation of, of scar tissue or like true regeneration of what's present in the first place? Biopsy studies have never shown any scar tissue in any of the solutions that are in current use and have been for years. Because when you make new cells grow, there's a signaling process that appears to be electrically up with what's already there. And then it thickens that structure, and the very nice thing about it is once it thickens it, there's a drying out process that's natural, and that drying out process tightens the structure that's loose. So it both um, makes the structure thicker and stronger as well as tightens it, so it's more complex. That's cool. Okay. No, definitely. Um, I think we better... I, I've got questions, of course. But I think we'll do the break first, Lonnie, if you want. And uh, then yeah, we'll come works. back with those. Sure. I'd like to talk about just some, some frequent injuries and weightlifting and powerlifting and this and that. And, you know, go to break. Okay. And then we'll come back and uh, pick up where we left off.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Rob Porches Fortney, and I'm here to ask that as the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, you consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, we've heard and read hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. We are here for you. But like any other radio format, we're listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a sporting member. Keep your weekly dose of education, experts, and gen talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brother and Sister. Thanks for helping us create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports and a happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, and we're back, and um, we're going to start this out with something interesting here. Um, the, the Dr. Reeves told us that we, we were talking about on the break. Um, we got to talking about nerves and, you know, a client of mine that, that has come and seen him. And run away with this. So you're talking about the new studies are being done. Um, prolotherapy is acting on the, the nerve level, correct? 
Well, actually, what has been found in about 2007 is that this same uh, injection solution, when it is injected around painful nerves that are on our skin, will eliminate that pain and also eliminates the deeper pains from the ligaments and tendons and joints. Mm. And so there's a connection that has been found and it's been very exciting because uh, there's a doctor in New Zealand, Dr. Liftoff, who began to repair very quickly and eliminate um, athletes' limitations by simply injecting the nerves. And so now, our way of looking at patients is completely different. What we understand now is that these small nerves produce proteins that determine whether the structures underneath them heal or go into disrepair. And so, for example, when I see a rotator cuff patient, I'm going to look for the nerve that causes rotator cuff tear. There's actually a nerve that causes every single damage that we see, unless, of course, it's a huge trauma. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, repetitive type injuries are usually because nerves get irritated and cause the damage to occur. <laughs> so when we treat people now, we look for the damage to repair it by prolotherapy, but we look for the nerve that caused the damage. And you can ask about any condition, and I'll give you some examples if you like. No, I mean, I like what I'm hearing because it sounds like you're treating the... <laughs> the you're not treating the symptom anymore. You guys are trying to totally get and find the cause. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the first ones that come to mind for me are, you know, injuries that are very prevalent in my sports um, and, and how it might be helpful. Like the first thing that I come up, both myself, I've blown like a bicep tendon. Lonnie's torn a tricep tendon. Um, would that be something, of course, when, when, you total have, when you have a total detachment, of course, there's going to have to be surgery. Um, but would prolotherapy be something that would be useful for um, helping us speed and get a better recovery, potentially? Uh, yes, because the nerves themselves are involved with producing a balance of protein in the area, mm -hmm. either speed or slow the repair. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it's good when you have certain situations like a hamstring that's tight to treat the nerve that causes that tightness because hamstrings can rupture without warning yeah. when that gets to a certain point of disrepair. You don't get the pain signal sometimes. So especially for those tendons and ligaments that don't have the pain signal, it's good to eliminate that nerve signal, and you can. It's fixable. That's the exciting thing about it. Yeah, I, I can see why you're excited about this because I guess my understanding with a lot of this stuff, and I mean, I'm not a physician, would be that... This is somehow a, almost a mechanical problem of overuse. And what, what you're saying is now we understand that nerves are sending the message, like nerves are at fault more so than just some type of repetitive mechanical demand. Is that right? Well, yes, these sensory nerves, there's about 40% of all of our sensation nerves of what they call protein producing nerves. And these nerves start on your skin and they have to make their way between muscles that are going back and forth. So they have to go through little holes in the muscles and make their way around bones to get to your spinal cord. Mm -hmm. These nerves are claustrophobic. They do not like to be surrounded. All it takes is to get them squeezed or to slap them hard, like a contact around the knee, for example. That will mm -hmm. injure the nerves that are just over the surface, and they'll start to swell 
And then when they swell, they also can't slide through the fascia. And for example, patient that leans over and all of a sudden they can't stand up. There's a nerve right there at the waist gets swollen and gets stuck in the canal. And you can't move. It's like a knife in your back. Anyhow, that's what happens. These fascia, fascial planes in our body impede the movement and cause the nerves to dysfunction. Interesting. So my next question then would be, um, gosh, dealing with weightlifters, powerlifters, track and field people, there's a lot of times that we have aches and pains. When, when, how long, like, I can't run and get a prolo injection every time I have an ache or pain. You know, at, at what point do we move from this is something I can fix with tissue therapy to I need to go see you? Well, that's changing pretty rapidly, too. And the reason it's changing in terms of our answer to that is because this treatment has now become diagnostic. Mm-hmm. Here's how. Uh, we've now found that dextrose 5% without any anesthetic at all returns the nerve to a normal state in 5 seconds to 20 seconds so that when you want to find out is my weakness due to a tear or is my weakness due to a nerve that's not working right or is my hand being tight for some reason, you treat the nerve, you wait 5 seconds, you have them squat again or do that motion and then you can determine exactly what the source of that is. So gotcha. we're, we're shifting from just a, well, let's treat them after they're really injured to let's find out what's really causing the trouble and then give them a way to treat themselves. Yeah. Because there are ways you can treat yourself with cream for these nerves. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, you know, today, at least in, you know, the, the strength sports field and, and strength and conditioning that, um, soft tissue work and you know things like that have been ART have become all the rage it sounds like this would probably be a good team for that I mean for lack of a better term if, if you got something that's tight and you can get it to loosen up and then the soft tissue person can then work on it um, type of thing is that correct we basically look at repetitive treatment Okay. if you're getting ART uh-huh. and you're getting stuck then yeah. very likely that nerve has a little more fascial restriction. One gotcha. thing you can do is you can stretch, and you can stretch with fluid using some ultrasound guidance from inside the body, and it's a different kind of stretch because you can take the fascia and pull it away from that nerve very simply so the nerve can then move. So, it, yes, it's a complement. It's a team thing. Yeah. You know, I but, see parallels, if I can just interject. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I just, I'm seeing parallels with this um, – Sometimes you'll hear phrases from strength coaches or even physiologists about how, in a sense, muscles are slaves to the nervous system. You know, you'll, you can cross-innervate different nerves into the muscle, and, you know, the, the characteristics of the muscle, type 1 versus type 2 characteristics, will start to change based on the innervation. And, but I think what we're talking about here that's so interesting is this is sort of, it's taking a similar concept, perhaps, that, you know, the nerve is the, is the master, in a sense, but it, you're doing it to uh, repair. I don't know, as opposed to you know. Cause normally, I'm thinking about the kind of the usual infiltration of white cells, and you know all this kind of stuff that starts to happen in histamine response, and all this kind of stuff happening over maybe a ten day period, and then the healing starts to you know kick in and that sort of thing. And this is sounding all more immediate to me and sort of revolutionary. Is that correct? It's absolutely correct. It's terribly exciting because now the treatment paradigms are able to 
restore nerve function much faster than what we think about by repair. You don't need to go through the inflammatory process. A nerve heals differently. You just need to get the little receptor on the nerve. It's called a red pepper receptor. Actually, it has a fancy name, but it's the red pepper receptor that causes our chronic pain. And when you get that reset in the proper position, that nerve becomes Dr. Jekyll again and begins producing proper proteins to help you heal yourself. And often, that structure will go ahead and do normally, you can go right back to running. And uh, yet, if you have a severe damage, you'll have to hold the athlete back a bit, but usually function is able to be restored very fast. So that's been fun. Yeah. Can you... Um... Can you name a couple of the proteins that are getting released? Are these things that are we might recognize or just not at all? <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's just about has heard of substance P. Mm-hmm. Substance P directly makes nerves uh, hurt and they cause a lot of um, changes that are degenerative in structures. And another relative, another type of protein is calcitonin gene-related peptide. CGRP. Your readers may not have heard of that, but if you look in the literature now, you'll see thousands of articles every month that include the term CGRP or substance P. It's everywhere. And these receptors are throughout our whole body. They're not just in our ligaments and tendons. So that when we talk about people having organ issues, um, you know, the chiropractors were right. By golly, organ issues and all kinds of other things can happen when these nerves dysfunction because of all the interconnection. But now I, th- I think maybe one of the key features is we're understanding it on a more of a mechanistic or molecular basis instead of just uh, tweaking someone's spine, maybe. Well, we have much to learn. For example, we're going to do the first study showing how this works by putting red pepper on the lips and making the lips burn and putting cream on that's either false or real and showing how fast the burning pain stops. Because again, it's the red pepper receptor. So the mechanism of how this works, there's so much to be worked out because it's a complex system, but Mm. the nice thing about it is that dextrose is so simple in use and diagnosis. So my next thing, is, as far as a direct injury that I see often, is, gosh, I don't know how many people we've had on the show that are lifters that are going in for hip replacements at a young age. You know, like myself, well, mine, and mine's more due to a childhood injury. My pelvic was broken in 16 places and this and that, and I went and saw the doctor because all of a sudden I had a bunch of pain. Like overnight, I went from no pain to extreme amounts of pain overnight. And, you know, I come to find out that I, I ground through the last bit of cartilage. Is, is there able to build, for these people that are getting hip replacements, can we rebuild cartilage in the hip joint? Or, you know, is that something that's potentially capable or might be in the future? I think the hip joint is perhaps the most difficult at this point. Yeah. Um, in the other joints of the body, we don't see a, a lot of cartilage built with anything. I'm, I'm writing up a study right now to send a publisher that shows a little cartilage growth with dextrose. Mm-hmm. We will be doing some arthroscopic studies with PRP and maybe bone marrow. But the important thing is that joints don't have to hurt if they have no cartilage. And so knees, you don't have to grow a lot of cartilage. You get normal knees and the nerves don't hurt about the knee. The knee can function very well. Yeah. The problem with the hip is it's multidirectional. Mm-hmm. It has to have good <laughs> Once you lose that, even if you make some cartilage grow in the hip, it's still a problem. Yeah. So I think we've got a long way to go in terms of hips. 
you know, you can make them feel better, but if you start losing your range of motion critically, it's hard to get that back. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, geez, I can't think of other ones. Um, Lonnie, I mean, there's a lot of tendonitis, tendinosis, you know, overuse injuries like that, but I think that you've covered that. <laughs> let, me, let me give a couple of examples that may be of interest. Uh, yeah. we, talk, we talk about uh, nerve stuff, uh, the jaw. We've got two studies right now showing all you have to do is put a little bit of dextrose in the jaw and you eliminate TMJ very rapidly, and that's actually a pretty common condition with people that clench your teeth. If you have uh, tennis elbow, there's nerves, there's two to three nerves that cause tennis elbow, and so localizing those as well as treating the tennis elbow can help them heal much faster. That's two examples. Um, let's see, how about uh, ankle sprains? Ankle sprains is a good prolotherapy topic because all you really need to do with ankle sprains is tighten the ligaments so that they are able to have their uh, have you protected when you start to roll your ankle. You'll then have tight enough ligaments that you don't roll it too far before you realize it. Mm-hmm. And stop that process and stop those sprains. That would have been nice for me to know uh, <laughs> about five <laughs> years ago before I had a sort of a stabilization surgery for, you know, constantly spraining, you know, chronically spraining my right ankle. Well, I'm sure you've had this problem. Uh, you had it when you were getting ready for your competition, joints and things hurting. And, you know, didn't you? You ached for months after that, didn't you? Well, Long yeah. Ago. I mean, in fact, that could bring up a nice question then. Um, what about people with chronic tendonitis? You know, they don't want to develop, uh, you know, uh, tendinosis and a scrambling of the, you know, the fibers in the tendon or, or what have you. Is this the kind of thing that, you could use on someone with a chronic tendonitis that it just keeps nagging um, to try to, I don't know, uh, start the the resolution of that inflammation and move it more toward a, I don't know, I don't want to call it healing by second intention, but, you know, a removal of some of the original problem and then um, an actual healing for someone who just has inflammation but not, not a tear or not, you know, not damage in other ways. Okay, good question. Now, here's the key. The inflammation that's present is not the typical inflammation we think of that the arthritis medicine help much. It's nerve inflammation. And that's really what I'm talking about. When these proteins produce are produced by the nerves, it causes neurogenic or nerve-based inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that's if you take a, a tendon that's swollen, for example, that's fluid that's caused by these proteins. You inject it and or use some cream around it, and then that swelling goes down. That's, for example, Achilles tendinosis. That's got a big, fat Achilles tendon. If you inject around that tendon, the tendon then will shrink, not become weaker, but the edema will decrease. The fibers will become parallel and normal-looking again, and the, the ability for that tendon to function will be uh, improved. So mm. what we're talking about is tendinosis is the proper term, really, that we like to use now because it's really degenerative. Mm-hmm. And you do Oh, and one more thing. I want to mention this. When I see people that have surgery, I, I, I do not downplay surgery. But what we do say is that the surgeons don't fix nerves. And so if you go in for a rotator cuff surgery and you're not having a good rehab, the nerves are usually the reason. And that's why an orthopedic surgeon that I'm working with now is considering treating patients for the nerves right after surgery to see if he can't greatly speed up the rehab of this patient. So that's exactly kind of what I got into on the 
the uh, the tears of the bicep, tricep, rotator cuff, all that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. My next question would be, okay, let's say, because I think probably elbow and knee, um, tendonitis or tendinosis is probably the most often thing that, that I've had to deal with um, as a coach. Um, how Okay, can we lay out like a typical, how long is a typical treatment going to be for an elbow tendinosis? You know, a tennis elbow or something like that. What, what's a person looking at if they come to you as far as treatment? If you're talking about prolotherapy, for example, and you're talking about a um, um, that that aspect, tennis elbow, you're going to want two-month healing cycle. Mm-hmm. They see someone an average of two times for that elbow to three times. I think perhaps an average of three times at about month to two-month intervals is pretty typical. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be treating the nerves, you identify the nerves that are helping cause it, you treat them underneath the skin typically and give the patient a cream to apply, and then that can not only help speed the process, but help them to self-treat and prevent it in the future more easily. So at this point, we also, and one other thing is that, as I mentioned, in uh, situations where there's a real crunch for time, the nerves can respond so quickly that a very fast treatment course is becoming possible where you see people from long distance two or three times quickly and like every day or every other day fashion to get the nerves to turn around and then you see them a month or so later. Mm-hmm. So again, the treatment course is very uh, according to what's being done. I could potentially see this. <laughs> I, I, I... A few years back, I was around a lot of high-level track athletes, and oh my goodness, they were the first people to run in and get cortisone zone shots. And <laughs> I, this would probably lower the rates of those if you can get rid of the pain that quickly. But, um, geez, uh, Lonnie, you got anything else? Well, I, I guess what we're hearing then is that neurogenic inflammation trumps um, traditional slower-acting kinds of inflammation, right? I mean, if you can... If you can um, inject directly into a nerve, uh, you can stop the rest of it from happening, right? I mean, because, you know, I'm thinking prostaglandins and you know what I'm thinking, doctor. Mast cells, histamine, all this, this big mess. And you're saying you can, the neurogenic side of this sort of trumps that because you can stop it before it happens, sort of. Is that right? Yeah, there are those situations in which steroids are, are nice, they're okay to try once or twice, but uh, because neurogenic inflammation, if it continues to be out of control, will sometimes start up the other type of inflammation or keep it going, mm-hmm. it's still very productive to approach it by treating the nerves first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like it in principle a lot, and I don't know much about neurogenic inflammation, to be honest. The only things that I've ever studied were literally things like C-reactive protein and you know those sorts of things, almost systemic kinds of things, but... Uh, I, I know, it, it sounds very cool. Like I said, it almost goes back to that original concept that if muscles are slaves to the nervous system, you know, that's why powerlifters will do speed work, for example, and, yeah. you know, and that kind of stuff. And here we've got uh, using a similar idea, similar concept to um, heal, you know. So, Well, the, the nerves are very interesting because they uh, control so much by reflex. For example, we'll have someone that, if they've got a sensation nerve not working well around the knee, they won't have a coordinated knee. They won't have a strong knee, or they can't trust that knee. Almost they don't know what the knee's going to do. 
So if you restore this sensory nerve function, it restores sensation, proprioception, or what they call position sense to the knee. And then the disinhibition, actually the turning off of muscle function, can be reversed. Uh, a little example, I saw a patient with a, um, a, a ligament issue around the knee and some nerves about the knee that had not been able to squat for uh, probably about three years. And so I just treated the nerves today. And then about 10 minutes later, she was able to squat completely. Hadn't done that for a very long time, just because we identified all those nerves. And so then she's going to be able to treat herself and know, again, where the problem is coming from. Hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable. No, and I can, that's, I mean, I kind of relate that back to, like, Lonnie, you wear knee wraps a lot now, too. And there are times where it's it's a trust thing. Um, it, and it's probably on the nervous level, and it's also just on the freaking, you know, mental level of being frightened. But um, you get that little bit of pain in your knee, and it slows you down. It makes you move different. The minute I can throw a light wrap on because of, you know, that, the pain's gone. I move better. I don't think about it. It's like kind of a security blanket thing. And whereas if I was able to, you know, actually get the pain actually gone and not have to put use the crutch of the knee wrap, yada yada, you know. Well, speaking uh, of that sort of thing, uh, if I can ask, then uh, are we? Um, I don't want to say wasting our time, but are we maybe barking up the wrong tree then by doing things like taking six or eight hundred milligrams of ibuprofen and trying to use compression techniques and all this other stuff? Um, is there a, a better way to go about this uh, as far as tendon, you know, care? Um, well, let's first deal with the, arthrit with the uh, arthritis meds. After acute injury, there's some question about whether they're helpful or whether they're harmful. Mm -hmm. uh, that's controversial. Um, you know, we have long-term issues with them for a lot of reasons in terms of chronic med use, but uh, because, again, they're treating the wrong kind of inflammation, they're mostly a pain med. They do help with pain, but they don't really take care of the right kind of inflammation. Now, compression is another issue because if you have a mild problem with nerves, massage and other things can be helpful, but if the nerve is inflamed enough, when you do certain types of massage that are painful, you'll turn off the nerve and almost silence it, but then it'll come back on more aggressively. So sometimes the compression techniques that are forceful, like forceful painful massage can be an issue, but that's not exactly what you all were saying. Part of what you mentioned was wraps. And I think the way that these tapes and these wraps work in part is I think that they alter the way the nerve goes through the fascia when it first dips through the muscle. Mm. And you surround a joint and cover those nerves, I believe that you alter the way that nerve functions and also provide a little sensation for the joint. So it really can make you function better. I think it's on a neurologic basis. Interesting. No, I mean it's, it's I mean it's night and day to where, I mean I have an old my my wraps are pretty much glorified ace bandages, so I mean there's nothing to them. Right. But it is night and day from putting that thing on this ten year old pair of wraps to not having it on, and it's just you know and it's I can't believe it's all just mental. I mean I move different. Exactly. I move, move pain free. Um, so, and, yeah. and what we're hearing is it could, in fact, be almost instantaneous, the effect, you know, so, yeah, because yeah, I know what you're thinking is like as an as a weightlifter, as an athlete, you're like, is just is this just psychological? Remember when Dave yeah. Tate was saying, I feel like I'm going to wear a, a scuba suit <laughs> yeah. just for the just exactly. for the sense well, of security I'm also thinking is like, you know, could I 
go, you know, get this taken care of to where I don't have to rap? If it's just, if it's a nerve thing, can we take care of that nerve? And then it's like, hey, I'm better, you know, type of thing. But oh, I have one last question then. If if we don't um, purposely try to take care of our soft tissues, um, I don't know whether it's massage or or whatever it may be, and we just let something like a low grade smoldering uh, inflammation continue. Um, I'm guessing that's really bad. So what should we do about that? Um, how do we find, for example, a physician that is understanding prolotherapy? How many physicians out there are going to be familiar with this uh, or, you know, or directly dealing with neurogenic inflammation? Do we have to see a neurologist? What's the practical uh, clinical course for someone who has chronic inflammation and just keeps dealing with it? Well, the, the issue right now is that neurologists are uh, brilliant and they are diagnosing something called small fiber neuropathy. And they're diagnosed at, by biopsying and actually finding these nerves do drop out uh, and are lost sometimes in people that have chronic pain. But they don't have an effective treatment except drugs. We really are talking about a small fiber neuropathy here. But there's a way to reverse it. When you're looking for someone, though, it looks like at this time you'll need to be using certain words in your search because the first term that was used or popularized was called neural, N-E-U-R-A-L, prolotherapy. Neural prolotherapy. Mm -hmm. And that was popularized by Dr. Liftoff in New Zealand. In Australia, they're trying to use the term PIT for perineural injection therapy. Uh, but that's pretty newly introduced. I think neural prolotherapy and or what we've talked about, uh, perineural injection with dextrose uh, should help find people. But I'm afraid at this point, because the first course in perineural injection was held in New Zealand in 2009, November, this is fairly new, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard mm -hmm. for me to know what to tell you yet. We're, we're all growing and learning so fast and working with practitioners we didn't know we could work with before, like the... Uh, Active release therapy, folks, that's a blast because it is such a good uh, companion to that type of treatment. Okay. Good to know. I think that's it, unless you got more, Lonnie. I think it was a good show. No, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's one of those topics that we, anybody who resistance trains on a regular basis, especially competitively, yes. you know, they're going to run into periods of inflammation or even injury. And this just seems like a paradigm shift, right? That um, I guess predictably over the next, next five years, there'll be more and more papers published, more physicians. Anybody who's smart enough to, you know, use any, any level of evidence-based practice is going to eventually become more aware of this. And uh, I think the athletes are going to benefit. Yeah. No, think, for sure. I think there'll be a tremendous gnashing of teeth. It's going to change the paradigm, as you say, and we are detecting a tremendous resistance. And I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. But, gentlemen, it's going to be some rough water for a while. But <laughs> I do see the point at which, because of the instant effects, it's going to be so acute sports-related because there's no steroid. The inhibition of the, the muscle turned off so fast. It's going to be a fun future. Looking mm -hmm. forward. That sounds like it. Um, I want to give everybody, for more information on Dr. Reeves, you can go to his website, uh, Um His contact's on there, and then I'm sure 
if, if, if you guys are interested in this, he could probably point you in other directions if you're not in the area. Um, but thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Indeed. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good evening. Until next week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.